Hey everyone, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies with the latest news in both books and sports. And it is the book episode. Finally. And thankfully I'm over that cold from last week, so I sound less like a Chewbacca underwater. I wouldn't have described it as that, but you're the one that had to edit last week's podcast, so... Uh, it sounded a little like Chewbacca underwater. Yeah. In the latest book news, S.A. Cosby's latest novel, Razorblade Tears, which is set to come out in July, has already been picked up for adaptation by Paramount Players. Razorblade Tears? That sounds scary. Like, why It would also you want sounds them? like an emo band from like the early 2000s. Yeah. It is a book about two fathers who are ex-cons, and they team up to investigate the murder of their sons who happen to be married to each other. Okay. This thriller is being met with anticipation following Cosby's 2020 bestseller, Blacktop Wasteland. So I haven't heard of either one of these books, but already it's got an adaptation set to happen. So it's got to be good, right? I, one would hope so. And Viacom CBS's MTV Entertainment Group has announced a relaunch of MTV Books in partnership with Simon & Schuster. Nina Diaz, president of content and chief creative officer at MTV Entertainment Group, said, With the relaunch of MTV Books, we have the opportunity to uncover new, cutting-edge voices and fast-track their stories into series and TV movies. So, that's apparently a thing. I didn't know there was ever an MTV Books. It just seems weird that that would be a thing because it's music television. Why would they be doing books? So that they have the rights to turn them into shows for the channel? Okay. I guess. It just sounds weird to me, but I don't work in the book industry. Nor do I work in the music television industry. <laughs> right. And you'll have to correct me if I say this person's name wrong because I've never said it aloud before, apparently. So Lil Nas X has published a children's book through Random House Kids. You nailed it. Lil Nas X is the name, but why would he... A, a children's book. Yes, the book is called C is for Country and came out on January 5th. It is a 40-page story about country life through the alphabet. Apparently, A is for Adventure, B is for Boots, C is for Country, but I guess the deeper message is about being yourself... And Even when it's not, like, the norm. And O is Old Town Road? I don't know. I haven't read the book yet. Oh, okay. I can't tell you. I kind of like this because he is someone who doesn't fit the, like, country standard. So I like that he's telling children's stories about just sort of being yourself. And even if you don't fit into what's considered, like, the normal role or whatever. Yeah, I, I could see that. So, like, he definitely brought, and country fans are going to hate me, but country forward a little bit when he did create Old Town Road. I'm not shocked. I just, as I think everybody was really confused as to how that even came to be. Kudos to him kind of bringing country forward and, like, the country lifestyles forward to people. Yeah. And it's got a little version of him and his pony as, like, part of the story, so. Yeah. Independent publisher Source Books has donated $200,000 to charity from the funds received for their 2021 The Legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg Wall Calendar. Interesting. 
It is half of the proceeds from the calendar that got donated. The wall calendar features fan art from talented women of varying diversities all around the world. Portraits of Ginsburg are surrounded by facts of her life story. And according to Publishers Weekly, the organizations that received a portion of the donations include the Malala Fund, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, the National Organization for Women Foundation, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, the Washington Concert Opera, and the American Bar Foundation. I feel like that's a lot of charities to share the very little money that, well, like, it's a lot of money. 200000 is still a lot of money. It's just, you would hope... Less organizations or more money. I was going to say you'd be focused on maybe a few less charities. Like the Malala Fund is a phenomenal fund. So like I totally understand that one right off the bat. The opera one, I'm like, hmm. Well, opera's dying. We'll call it what it is because the people that listen to opera are also dying. Oh. So not to be dark (laughs) there, but like, geez, it's the reality as a whole. Like, I feel like opera is an art that is kind of going out of the wayside, which is sad because you're seeing the same thing with a lot of orchestra-based music as well. You're seeing a lot of popularity in music creators and not performance music, I guess, is the right way to put it. Okay. But... I see why they're doing it, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I agree. Do, do we really need to be giving money to that? Well, you just want the money to do as much as it can. And when you spread it that thin, I feel like it's got less that it can do. So I don't know if you've heard of these, but there was a Mina Lima illustrated Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone that came out last year. And basically it had featured paper pop-ups and cutouts and like interactive elements for the book. Okay. It came out in October and it was completely sold out. Like as far as I know, it immediately sold out. I have no idea what who Mina Lima is. It's an illustrator. I figured as much, but And there was a lot of buzz about whether or not there would be another one for book two. But it's just been announced that Mina Lima's illustrated Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is coming out this year in the fall. Okay. So we shall see about that. I like the look of these, but I don't know that I would own them. All right. I personally don't want to give She Who Shall Not Be Named any more money. But at the same time, like, this version of Harry Potter is so good And, like, this illustrator is well-known for their depictions of the Golden Trio and, like, our favorite Harry Potter characters. So, like, the struggle is real. Well, yeah, you'd you'd be giving money to JK without any doubt in the world, but you would also be giving money to the artist. Which I think is not a bad thing. You're helping the artist. I know she's probably getting, like, pennies in comparison to what JK is probably pulling in from it contractually, but at the same time, it's, like, Helping artists is not a bad thing. Well, I also don't have the first one, so I don't know that I would want to buy the second one without having the first one. Yeah. And also, I don't know. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could spend that amount of money on a book I've already read. It's one of those things I would have to be gifted, I think. Gotcha. But going back to children's books, Kevin Hart has a children's book coming out in June of 2021. Marcus Makes a Movie is set to be published by Crown Books for Young Readers, which is an imprint of Random House Children's Books. Hart said he wanted to celebrate do-it-yourself creativity and rising against the odds to bring your dreams to life. 
That's kind of cool. The book follows a boy named Marcus who dreams of making a blockbuster superhero film. (laughs) That sounds like a very Kevin Hart thing to do. I think as like a shorter comedian, like superheroes are something you kind of always looked up to when you're like a kid because you're smaller and superheroes are great when you're small. Yeah. So are you saying Kevin Hart wants to be Ant-Man? I don't think he wants to be Ant-Man. I think he'd want to be like more like... Like the Hulk or Thor or something like that. I just meant because Ant-Man is Small. allowed to be like tiny yeah. and strong. Yeah. I, I knew what you meant. Okay. Yeah. The last bit of news that I have is that Amazon is being hit with a class action antitrust lawsuit alleging that it colluded with major publishers to illegally drive up ebook prices by 30%. The lawsuit alleged that Amazon negotiated anti-competitive deals in 2015 with the big five publishers, which are Hachette, HarperCollins, Macmillan, Penguin Random House, and Simon & Schuster, which allowed them to inflate prices by up to 30%. Was it just Amazon that was inflating them, or did everybody inflate them alongside Amazon to compete? What was basically happening is Amazon was setting the ebook prices and so no one was allowed to sell it below what amazon was selling it for i kind of understand how that works as somebody who has to deal with what they call umrp pricing in the world of retail it's the same kind of thing so i didn't know that books were underneath that contractual issue to avoid that they are not supposed to be managed in this way gotcha A Bloomberg analysis said that Amazon had almost 90% of the ebook market in 2018 and was able to benefit immensely from the higher prices by charging customers more. Apple was found guilty of this in 2013, and the companies that they were colluding with were the same five publishers that have been fixing ebook prices with Amazon this time. Amazon and the five publishers have not commented on the lawsuit as of Saturday night, January 16th. So hopefully that means that there is a more competitive market for ebooks. Everyone I know uses Amazon for ebooks because that's really what you have. Because most people have a Kindle or the Kindle app on their iPads or whatever tablet device they have. So I would like to see this become more competitive. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I'd also like someone to sue Amazon. That'd be great. Yeah, it's probably not an easy one to win, though. You gotta think, you know. Well, they have a lot of money. It's hard to win against people who have a lot of money. It's usually true. But that's the bookish news for the week. And now I've got the Epic Reads book tag. That sounds epic. Funny. Yeah. The first question is, if you could invite one author and one of their fictional characters to tea, who would you invite? If I could invite an author to tea? And one of their characters. Hmm. See, it's the tying them together that became a problem for me because I would want to have tea with Luna. She's my favorite character from but any then book have to ever. Bring JK but then I'd have to bring <laughs> She Who Shall Not Be Named. So I went in a different direction because I don't want to murder an actual human being. What would your pick be? So I make sure I, I don't pick the same. Well, you won't. Okay. I good. ended up picking Fable from Fable with her author, Adrian Young. 
Adrian Young, I think, doesn't get enough credit for being an author who does a really good job writing strong female characters while still allowing them to have moments where they're soft. Yeah. And, like, they have natural flaws and issues like everyone else, but they're still a strong female character. So I would choose those two since I'm not going to do the other one. Right. Right. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I feel like, I, because I haven't read so many books, that it wouldn't be, like, that crazy for me. Well, but... like, obviously you're not going to go for She Who Shall Not Be Named. No. But, like, because I just read Vicious, I feel like it's on the top of my mind. I'm trying to think of, like, who out of that group I would pick. Victor um, or Mitch? I would probably pick Mitch just because I'm a nerd like Mitch. Like, I feel like that would be cool. I think Mitch out-nerds you, to be honest. Oh, without a doubt. But at the same time, like... I feel like the conversations with him would be entertaining, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I don't really know much about V.E. Schwab, but I know that she's kind of a popular author, so I'm sure there's something I could take she's, from that conversation. She's a really good author. She writes across multiple genres and age ranges, and she lives in Edinburgh. Well, So, I, I mean, can, you could discuss that with her. Had some good adventures in Edinburgh when I was a kid, but I say kid, but really like adult age-ish, I guess. I was 16, so kind of not kid-kid anymore, but not adult. That was almost half your life ago. Yeah, but as I've told you, like, Edinburgh is one of, like, if I won the lottery and I could just live somewhere, Edinburgh would be one of the places I would like to live. Is it because they're supposed to be ghosts? No, it's because it's an amazing city. Yeah. Um, It's also very green. Nature is very tied in with the city itself, so... I think that's one of the reasons I would be so attached to it. As well, too, you get actual winter there, which is kind of nice. Question number two is, <laughs> what book do you wish an author would write a prequel for? I don't know that I really have an answer for that, I guess. I'm um, not surprised. You haven't read a lot of books. Yeah. Well, like, I've read a lot of books, but I don't remember them well enough to be like, yeah, that I would want a prequel of that. I don't want Harry Potter to have a prequel. Like, everything that's come out since book seven just shouldn't exist. So, I don't want that. Right. I personally said that I'm not big on prequels anyway, especially now that I've seen what some authors are doing with their work so many years after their series is finished. Right. I said, maybe Anne Bishop, who wrote Written in Red, which I enjoyed last year. It's an urban fantasy with blood seers and, like, it goes from there. And we see it when someone's escaping the compound where they keep the blood seers. So maybe a prequel to see how Meg ended up there and, like, what her life was like there before she escaped. Yeah. But that's the only one I could think of that I thought... You know, there could be a story to tell here that doesn't detract from the main story. Yeah. I don't know. For a prequel, I feel like the Divergent series kind of could use a prequel a little bit. Like, you could learn more about how, like, the city, the came, city to be. came to be the way it is. I, I feel like that would be entertaining. Yeah. Just because they, in the first book, really rushed through it. And as you get to the end, you kind of understand how it came to be in the third book. But it's still very, like, short, sweet, to the point. My problem being that I no longer trust Veronica Roth just because of how dirty she did her fans with the last book. And then she came out with a book years later that I have never read, so I can't speak to But basically, you had the good people in this book that were white, and you had the bad people who were not white. And I'm just like, that is very racist, and so I don't know that I would trust her. Yeah. But 
I, again, have not read that book, so I can't really speak to that. That's just what I've heard. Yeah. So I I wouldn't trust her with it, but I think it is a good story that you could tell. Yeah, I think a prequel to that series wouldn't be awful by any means. And it would force her to write away from the awful things she's written, I guess. I didn't know that she wrote things like that, but... It was supposed to be a series. As far as I know, only one book came out from that, but I try not to really go near her anymore. For that reason. Kind of makes sense. The next question is, name two characters that are from different books or series that you think would make a good couple. So, like, they don't exist in the same world, but somehow they'd be a good couple together. This is an easy one. Mitch and Hermione, I feel like it would be a really funny one. Just because... Uh, ah, listen. Because they're both really, really intelligent, and I think they would get along for that reason. But, but I feel he like... he looks so rough. Yeah, but... I think Mitch as a whole is a funnier, more fun guy than like you really get a full taste of in the book. I did not. I could not in my head put those two together. <laughs> and they're probably going to catch flack for it. That's so, I, so weird. If, if you don't agree with me, maybe we'll make a post on social media this week on Twitter with a poll whether you all agree with me or not. I, I think it's funny um, and it would be entertaining. For, for me, I this was the question that took me the longest to answer because like in my head like books have this different like style to them and so like putting two different styles together is weird yeah i said maybe ian o'shea from the host and river from enjoy the view by sarah morgenthaler because i just read enjoy the view this past week so that was on top of my head but also they both are sort of outdoorsy taking care of themselves so I feel like that would go well. Plus, Ian is this tender-hearted guy, and River enjoys getting to know Easton in Enjoy the View, who is a big, soft teddy bear. So I feel like Ian kind of has like a similar heart to Easton. Gotcha. But like that's still weird. Like they're I like them with who they end up with individually in their works, but they're the only ones I could like picture together in my brain. Out of all the weird combinations I thought of. Because, you know, I came up with some weird stuff Yeah. when I was thinking about it. Who did I think of that I thought was really weird? I know in my head I said something about Kaz Brecker and Selena Sardothian from Throne of Glass. And, like, yeah, they're both kind of, like, morally gray characters. But I think she would eat him alive, possibly. Well, we don't support cannibalism, so let's avoid that one. And here's a question that's kind of a throwback to last week when we had a different tag happening. Mm. If you ran into your favorite author on the subway and could only say one sentence to them, who is it and what would it be? Because I said, no matter who it was, I would probably freeze up and my mind would go blank. But if I could pick, I would pick probably V.E. Schwab. Yeah. And I would hope I could at least squeak out, I love your work. (laughs) But who knows? I I would be stuck on a few. So I'd say maybe R.R. Martin just to be like, when are you going to actually finish a book? But is he a favorite author of yours? Because I don't know that you've read any of George R.R. Martin's work. I did years and years and years ago, but I don't know. It, it would be between that 
and then probably jk rowling and just go why did you have to f everything up for harry potter because like you literally did this well not only did she mess up the world of harry potter and the wizarding world after she finished the original series she also messed up even liking harry potter because for a lot of people which is awful of what she was doing online so yeah but is she one of your favorite authors? It, like, of recent books, obviously, yeah. I, I I would say that. Like, we'll talk about my opinions of E. Schwab's writing later, but... Yeah. Yeah. But again, I'm, I'm kind of the noob here, you know. Don't judge me too harshly. I don't think as a human being she's my favorite author. If we had to vote based off of that level of confidence, So her work none. is some of your favorite work, but yes. as a person you think yeah. she needs to crawl into a hole. Sure. Okay. Yeah. What book has made you a reader and why? I feel like your wife made you more of a reader. <laughs> like I forced you, you to read things. You, you, you didn't have a uh, book out, but um, I guess technically by that argument, like what made me a reader was Dr. Seuss way back when, when I was a child, because that's what I read originally. So like Go Dog Go. Um, or... <laughs> well, okay. What made you a reader as an adult? Yeah, I guess, like, the first Harry Potter book in, in that instance, because, I, I don't know, like, I read from time to time as an adult, but usually because of school, not necessarily because of choice. Right. So, there's that. So, for me, I kind of have two books that I could pick, but I think the ultimate answer is going to be Harry Potter, because I really didn't like reading when I was a kid. Like, when I was first learning how to read, I would tell my mom I didn't need to know how to read because my brother could just read for me. Yeah. So, it didn't really click in my head to start liking reading until my fifth grade teacher read the first chapter of the first Harry Potter book to us in class, and I just had to read it. Yeah. But then I also remembered that before that happened, I read a book that I really enjoyed that really stuck with me even now. Yeah. And it was The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. For the longest time, I could not remember the title of this book. So I had to ask the book community a few years ago if they've ever heard of a book like this. And then they told me. And I was like, oh yeah, that definitely was it. But it was part of my school's contest. You would read a book during the week and then take a test about it at the end of the week. And then win a prize or whatever for whoever got the most points. Something like that. And so I read this one and it's just, for 10-year-old me, that was the funniest thing I've ever read. Gotcha. And it was one of those things where, like, you have to solve a mystery in order to win money from this guy's estate because he just passed away. And he leaves a video recording of himself explaining this to all the people who are gathered. And during it, he's, like, calling out things that are about to happen in the room. And it was like, so-and-so, don't get up, I'm still talking, and, like, other things. And in my brain, that was the funniest thing ever. But I haven't read it since then, so this is just what I can remember off the top of my head gotcha but it was something i felt like i was kind of forced to read but i ended up liking it so i don't feel like this is something that i just chose to read for myself because i wanted to read it right so for that it had to be harry potter if your bookshelves caught on fire what is the one book you would save because apparently this person decided that they wanted to force the worst thing you could force upon a reader onto us I would just take the book that's on fire off the bookshelf and solve the problem. Okay, but what if the actual bookshelves were on fire? Uh, um, 
I would probably grab one of the first edition English versions that my grandmother gifted me as a child. I feel like that has the most sentimental value to me. Still angry at the Postal Service for stealing one of them. Yeah, Um, that is actually what I picked. I said I'd probably pick the first edition UK Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire that Stephen's grandmother picked up for him in England. Yep. So we're on the same page. At least we both know what book we would pick. And then if I wasn't grabbing a book, I would probably grab the Cardinal wherever it is, just because that was a gift from my grandmother on my dad's side. And I feel like the two things mean the most to me as to what's on there. So you're talking about the non-bookish things that I have on my shelves, because I have it stuffed with... Tories and stuffed animals and pop figures because I'm five, apparently. Yeah, but that that's what I would grab. For the non-book thing. thing, I hadn't even thought of that. Well, I'm glad I could bring it up. I think it would be the penguin stuffy that you got me that unfolds from being a pillow. It wouldn't be Chill the penguin from Build-A-Bear that we got? No, it would be the Pittsburgh penguins iceberg yeah. that you sent me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. See, even talking about sports here at the book podcast. Yeah. This is another question that I'm about to say that I had trouble with, but you haven't read a lot in this category, so I don't know that you're going to have an answer per se. Okay. Which dystopian world would you want to live in if you had to choose one and why? So I definitely would do Divergent just because... That's the only dystopian you've read. Well, it's not the only dystopian I've read. More recently in my life, yes it is. But I think that it would be... Because it's in Chicago, I would enjoy it. Just for that reason alone, I think. More so than anything. For You're so like sports fans reasons, I would totally be like that person. Sports in the, don't exist anymore. I, yeah, but I would, the buildings still for the most part do. I would be hanging out at like Wrigley Field with my feet up on like the seats, you know, or, or like find my way to the madhouse on Madison and just be like, pretend like I'm shooting goals and be like, yeah, I would do stupid things like that. I feel like. What a sports nerd we have. Yeah, I, well, you know. I said that I would want to choose Scythe by Neil Schusterman because... In that world, there's no disease, no death unless the scythes personally choose you as someone they're going to kill. But in the books, it really kind of messed with people's mindsets. Like there were people who were adrenaline junkies who would splat themselves just so they can get revived. Like jumping off really tall buildings just to crash and get saved. I have a fear of heights. I don't think even in a world like that, I would still do things like that. I would probably not. Right. Well, I mean, I've jumped out of airplanes. I've learned how to drive motorcycles. I do a bunch of dumb crap in my life. I feel like I would have become one of those people and I don't want to be one of those people. (laughs) So I said probably Rebel of the Sands. I really like the magic in this world a lot. And so that's the reason for that. Gotcha. It's also one of my favorite series that I read last year. So that was probably a reason it was at the front of my mind. That sounds like a pretty good reason. But At the same time, there is one dystopian series that is, like, strictly dystopian. Like, there's no other genre it could fit in that I really enjoyed when I read it in, like, 2015. But it's one of those series that it's, like, kind of a garbage series. Like, you read it because it's easy to read and not necessarily because it's, like, the next best thing in dystopian literature or whatever. Yeah. But the series is called The Fringe. The first book called Recon, and it's by Tara Benner. 
And basically, you've got this world where due to what humans have done to the climate and to nature, they had to build these basically glass domes that people had to live in in order to survive radiation and all this other stuff. And then you have classes of people who, like, if you're in the lowest class, you're in the military and you have to go out into that wasteland to make sure that the solar panels are getting cleaned and, like, things are getting taken care of so they can survive on the inside. And then the higher-ups run, like, the economy and businesses and stuff like that. But there's also a chance that people might be lying to the civilization about what's happening outside. And... I liked that series when I read it in 2015. I think that might be an okay one because as long as you're not the bottom of the rung, you're just living in normal society. You just don't know what's going on outside. It kind of sounds like a scene from like the video game Fallout a little bit. Does it? Well, except for the outside world legitimately was nuked, but like that the same idea where they're kind of like in this sheltered situation where you know if you're not in that lower tier of wanderers you're probably just not knowing anything really crazy is going on outside right, in the world right. so so as long as you're not in their like forced military like you're fine yeah it's fine yeah so that would be an okay one to live in probably yeah And the last question I felt was really vague but it is what is your most epic read of all time which feels very vague because it could be like, what's the hardest read or the longest read or the one that you felt the most connected to or whatever. I definitely would say, ooh, that's actually a really tough one. Right. Because like, like epic, my brain goes to like battle scenes and things like that where it's just <laughs> like, wow, it's so epic. You're such a boy. Um, well, I am. So that that's out of the question as to being a problem. But... Yeah, I don't know. that. It's too vague a question. It really is. Do you want me to answer it first? Sure. So I said if we're discussing page length, then I think it's Kingdom of Ash, which is almost a thousand pages. It's the last book in a seven book series by Sarah J. Mass. It's a fantasy. It's like epic in proportion. Like right, size. right. Yeah. But I also said if we're talking about just an epic read or whatever, like emotionally, I would still probably say Kingdom of Ash because I remember like feeling like my heart was getting broken and then healed and then broken and healed just the whole time I'm reading it. Like you were saying, it had all these like serious epic battles and like there were consequences. So my heart would break, but then it spent the next couple chapters healing my heart just to do another battle where everything went to hell and my heart broke again. So I don't know. It It's probably still the answer either way. Yeah. I, I don't know that I have an answer. I feel like there's a lot of books that I've read that have had like really epic epicness going on i wouldn't say that vicious is that book necessarily like there's cool stuff that goes on but it's it's a lot of really long build up to then a thing happening and if we're talking about just books that you've read and rated highly i think of course vicious would be on the top of the list as far as my understanding of how you enjoyed the book but i think if we're discussing page length it's probably gonna be one of the harry potters for you i was gonna say Page length 
and like quality of action would be like Goblet of Fire, maybe. Okay. I feel like that kind of fits the bill a little bit in both. Yeah, that's going to be what I go with. I think Goblet of Fire, just because you have the competition going on within the school and... You have a little action with like every event that's happening but right. then you have action that's happening outside Behind. of the triwizard Correct. tournament right. i could see you saying that yeah, yeah and it seems pretty epic overall yeah so. but that was the epic reads tag perfect as for what i've been reading i did what i told myself i wasn't gonna do which is read three things in one week but part of that's just because i read a comic so that definitely helped my reading for the week right But the first thing I read was Sag Harbor by Colson Whitehead, which is a backlist book from 2009. It was a present from your mother for Christmas. I ended up rating the book 1.5 stars. Sorry, Mom, you didn't pick a good book. (laughs) Well, I mean, like I said last week, it's got a good premise. It's about a boy who goes to a mostly white private school in New York and goes out to Sag Harbor, which is a mostly black community near or in the Hamptons for the summers. And I really thought it would be a discussion on trying to fit in where you feel like you belong, but other people may not. And it was sort of more like what I saw someone call a fictionalized memoir. Okay. So it's like the author took his own experiences and then added some fiction to it and called it a story. Yeah. And the problem with that is that it was really dense. It was 90% narration and like 10% things actually happening and people talking to each other, which made it really hard to read. But then on top of that, nothing was happening. That's kind of a bummer. The author ended up spending three pages discussing frozen dinners from the 80s. Yum. I guess, but man, I did not need to know that much about frozen dinners dinners from the 80s. Yeah. And like I said in my review that this felt a lot like a kid living in an abusive household who is trying to distract himself from the fact that he lives in an abusive household and spending all of his energy devoted towards distraction. And so, like, you have all these nonsensical things that are happening that make no sense and narrations that make no sense. And it seems like it's all because his father's abusive and he needs some way out of his home and his brain is the number one place he tries to go to to escape it. Got it. And, like, when I give something a one or one point something rating, it's because there's something structurally wrong with the book. Yeah. Like, if there's nothing structurally wrong and I just don't like it, you get at least two stars. But this one had so many problems with narration and pacing and it was just a chore to read the whole thing. And it's a short book. It's only 320 pages. Right. Like, I could have knocked that out in two days. This took me, like, five. It was really bad. Just rough to read. Yeah. So, I don't know that I'll read any of his work in the future, but your mother did get it for me. So, So I decided to to give it it a fair shake. Yeah. So, DNFing it after the first day of just struggling with the god-awful writing. Just wasn't an option, no. But then to make myself feel better, I read The Old Guard Book 2, Force Multiplied by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. And let's not go too far into that because I haven't read it yet. I will not, I promise. So I rated this four stars, which is the same rating I gave the previous compendium, I guess, of the first five comics. Yeah. 
And in this one, we go from where the first one left off and we have more action, different locations, and a different sort of theme for the plot. Though there is one undercurrent that follows from the first set of comics to this set of comics that I won't discuss because it is part of a twist that happens in the last comic of the five. But I thought the art style was clearer, so the action was more easily understood, even if you were trying to read the whole thing in one day. Gotcha. And I think there was more character development with our baby Nile, which was fun to see. And you yeah. got more sweet moments between my favorite couple, Nikki and Joe. So it was everything you wanted it to be, more or less. I mean, I'm not a fan of where the story went, and it kind of broke my heart in the last, like, 50 pages, so there's that. Yeah. But I'm interested to see how they do it with the movie. Yeah. That'll be fun to see. Hopefully they'll make the if movie. If they finally greenlight it at some point. <laughs> they haven't greenlit it yet, so, like, oh, the movie, I hope they make it, and it's like, oh. Well. I'm choosing to live in my head, which is a world where that's already been greenlit. Yeah. But... The last thing that I read this past week was Enjoy the View by Sarah Morgenthaler. This is book three to the Moose Springs, the Alaska Mooses. series. Yes. Which is a series of companion romance novels. Yeah. It was technically released on January 19th, which hasn't happened yet as of our recording. I got the book like a week early. I'm kind of hoping like when and if we ever start doing author interviews, she's willing to do an interview with us just because I know you'll nerd out about Moose Springs. And at some point, I feel like I have to read it now because like... It's romance though. Would you want to read it? No. <laughs> But at the same time, like, if we start doing author interviews, I'm going to have to read books of these people that I'm like, ah, like. That I like and you don't necessarily. Right. Yeah. And then, and then we'd also have to figure out a crossover between, like, sports and books with the authors, which I think would be kind of weird but fun. But there's that. Yeah. I ended up reading this 4.5 stars. This is the highest rated Moose Springs, Alaska book for me. I was going to say. So... I normally don't rate any contemporaries over four stars. So that, I think, should tell anyone who's listening that this is a really good book, but also that I feel like there was actual world building in this, which I normally don't think companion or contemporary novels have. But the book is set on the side of the mountain for most of the book. Yeah. And so the author does a really good job of putting you there, but also making you understand like the look and the feel and the danger of where they are and what they're doing. And I don't feel like the other books needed that because it was just a contemporary small town, whatever. But this kind of had some world building to it, which I think is why I gave it 4.5 stars. This book is the romance story of Easton, who is one of the side characters in the first two novels, and a tourist who has come to town because she was signed on to making a documentary for the Alaska Tourism Board. And Easton ends up being the guy who's supposed to take her up a mountain for the documentary. Interesting. And, like, you can see that this was, like, the story that the author had in her head the whole time when she was writing the other books because it is crafted with such like love and care for these characters in this story and reading the acknowledgements in the back she actually says something to that effect like this is the story she felt she had to write 
versus the others being stories she wanted to write. Yeah. And there have been some people who've pointed out that they felt like people were being stupid. Like some of the camera people were doing things they were told not to do and stuff like that. And I'm like, have you met any human being ever? Like people who aren't used to that environment are going to do things that they think are small and they don't know why it would be a rule not to because they don't have the experience. So like to me, their actions made complete and total sense. Like have you met a human being who doesn't understand where they are and what they're doing? Because I have. Yeah, it would be like if you've ever even watched any of the like behind the scenes of any of the survival shows, like the camera people do dumb things that they don't realize they're doing wrong. Right. And the same thing with people that are working like microphones and stuff, it's just kind of the way it is. So like I found it completely believable, but some people have said that they don't think it is and that's why their rating is lower than mine. But it's very cute, it's a sweet romance, and I think it's a really good study of a character that has just sort of been quiet and off to the side in the other two books and you really get like a character study of Easton in this one. Yeah. And I could talk about it all day, but we're not going to. It's probably for everybody's sake a good thing. Because there's a lot coming with Vicious, I'm sure. Yeah. But what I plan on reading next is Red Sister by Mark Lawrence. It is a backlist book from 2017. All I knew about this book going into it is that there were assassin nuns and that it's a fantasy with magic. (laughs) Assassin nuns, huh? That's all I needed to know. (laughs) And... It's interesting. I have started reading it already and like... For the most part, I'm enjoying it. My main problem being that I accidentally bought a mass market paperback version of this book. And so those are harder to read. The print is a lot smaller and like the spacing makes it really easy to like lose your place as you're reading and have to go back and reread sentences. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of also struggling because I was under the impression that this was an adult series and so far in the first third it's following a child and I'm a little disconnected from that because I knew there would be like training montage stuff going on but I didn't know it would be a kid when we started so that was a little off-putting at first yeah I can imagine that that would be a little throwing off you're like oh it's supposed to be an adult book and we start with the child Right. I'm assuming that once we get settled into where she's supposed to be studying to become an assassin, it'll do that, like, quick fast forward through her teenage years and get to her being an adult. And is it a multiple book series? Yes, there are three books in this series. They're probably doing a little bit of world building so that you know what's going on. Well, a lot of world building at this point, yeah. Well, like, it might be necessary. Who knows? Right, right. So we'll see how that goes throughout the rest of the week. And then I will be rereading Vengeful by V.E. Schwab. And I want to describe it in a way that doesn't ruin anything for you. How about then, if you can't, we don't. (laughs) That is an option. It is the second book in the Villains duology, possibly a trilogy. There might be a third book coming out by V.E. Schwab. It features some of our favorite characters from Vicious and continues the story on from where it ended with Vicious. Right. And is that a good enough summary without giving anything away? Sure. All right. But you're going to be starting Vengeful next week because you finished vicious this week yep mind-blowing yeah yeah i and we talked about a little bit last week the back forth time frames completely change in the second half of the book which 
like I feel like it gets closer and closer together. So like everything is playing in motion now, which right. I appreciated. I remember you getting really close to the end one night and being like, I should just finish it tonight. And I'm like, it is almost 11 p.m. Can we go to bed? Yeah. So clearly I was hooked towards the end. I My mistake was I think I read too far that night. You and should have stopped a little before you did. Yeah, maybe a chapter or two before because then I wouldn't have been like, oh, the end is like right there. Right. And And that's where I really ran into my problem. I think the book is so fast-paced, especially towards the end. Oh, yeah. And, like, if you do not sort of see the warning signs that the chapters are getting shorter and it's getting closer to the end, then you're yeah. just going to spend all night finishing this book. So I'm going to start off by saying I knew... Well, I found... I didn't find out. I guessed what the ending was going to be already. And I don't know. It. Which part of the ending did you feel like you already knew? I kind of knew that when it came to the ending that they were going to revive Victor already in in the graveyard because, like, they already had a graveyard experience with it. So, like, when Victor kept leaning on, like, well, if I die, I die, I'm like, you know you're not going to be dead because you're going to make sure that everybody is still safe. Well, I think my concern going into it was less about him dying and it being for good and more about the fact that the one person who has the power to make sure he comes back was there. She wasn't supposed to be, but she was at the building where all this was going down and in sort of a dangerous situation. And it's like, if something happened to her, then his plan is ruined and he's dead. Yeah, yeah, for good. And you could tell that when he realized that there was already something going on and everybody else was already with him outside... That it was like, go, go now. Mm-hmm. Please, 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 please go. Like, this needs to be solved. And there were some sacrifices of a character and that I think I mentioned to you that I was upset about. Like, when Dole got shot again, I'm like, right. that poor dog, like, He's cannot win. He's been through so much, yeah. Yeah, and so, I don't know. It, that was hard for me to read, too. And I already knew he was gonna... Yeah, I didn't know that. Like, I knew that he would protect Sydney. yeah. But at the same time, I didn't know that that was going to be, like, the end of Dole again. Right. Um, I also got really emotional there because you see her trying to have him come back. And, like, she's trying so hard. And it's sort of difficult. Not working at first. Yeah. And, like, the first time I read that, I was really worried she couldn't bring him back. Yeah. It makes me any better. I was the same way. This kind of leaves off in a weird spot for Sydney and Victor because her sister is dead, but she assumes Eli did it. Right. And so you kind of have this tiny cliffhanger where, like, you as the audience know who really killed her sister and she doesn't. Yeah. And so it's... Sort of this unresolved tension that you have at the end. And let's talk about the way Serena died because it was epic. If we were talking about epic scenes, that was epic. Right. Because literally, like, uh, honestly, I thought Mitch was toast. Right. Like, you saw that Mitch checked the clip multiple times for the gun, but you don't... I use the wrong term. The magazine, because it's a pistol, not a clip. (laughs) He checked it multiple times, and it never tells you that whether he had bullets or not. Right. And so, like, when he held the gun to his head, I was like, well, Mitch, it's been a good run. <laughs> like, I was ready to lose him. Like, yeah. I was. Because as I saw it happening, I was like, well, that that's that. But then, like, my brain started thinking, I'm like, that can't be 
part of Victor's strategy. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. So then, like, I set the book down, actually, before Mitch shot himself, supposedly, and it didn't end up happening. And I was like, there's no way. And my brain started playing out, like, all the pieces. And I was like, well, the guy that can move through the shadows, Barry, is going to clearly move him. Or it's not Barry. Barry's the guy that was the bank robber, not dude. Ah, it's going to drive me crazy. Either way, the guy that has the ability to move through the shadows, who's like the ex-military guy, you know, reappear behind him. Like, so he's got to use that. Like, he's got to be able to use that somehow because it stops time whenever he's with him. So I'm like, that has to be the thing that's going to happen. And sure enough, it did. And I was like, good. My brain is putting all the cards in place. Dominic Rushers. Yes, Dominic. Yeah. And I was like, there, there has to be some use to that, you know? And then my brain was like, well, if they sneak up behind serena and she has no idea that they're there then it's perfect they kill serena and that's the end of it that feels like it had to have been the only way to kill her because if she can say anything to you it's over you don't have an option you're done when that happens i assumed that the world of her power was whether she's a like if she dies then the speaking over everything like oh, my powerful Serena, everything goes out the window. And that's how I kind of predicted the ending of it. Like, because I knew at that point, Victor was going to sacrifice himself in order to get Eli arrested because all the police were outside. So like my brain started connecting all the dots at that point. As soon as I set down that book and kind of played it out in my brain, I'm like, what are the ways that this could happen? I think part of what's interesting for me is that when... Serena gets the call about Mitch's body being missing from the bar because supposedly there was a dead body in the bar and they get there and there's not. Right. Instead of calling Eli, the detective calls Serena. Well, they're under her trance. And she goes, why did you call me? And he said, I trust you. What about Eli? I trust you. Yeah. And it's like he felt like he was using her in order to get what he wanted but in reality, she was just doing what she wanted. Yeah. And everyone was following her. Despite the fact that she's like, he's a hero. And they're all like, yep, he's a hero. They still don't trust him. Yeah, they're saying that he's a hero because she said he was a hero. And that's the only reason. But I just, this is so well plotted. Yeah. And thought out. And I can't imagine trying to write this book. Like, I would have to have notes on notes on notes. Yeah. About, like, timeline and powers and, like, who did what, when, and where, and why. Yeah, I, I could imagine it was a mess to write, but at the same time, it it seemed a little predictable at the end. And I think, like, the ending was great. Don't get me wrong, I'm not taking away from it. It was a phenomenal ending. I don't know if it's because of, like, how many comics I read as a kid or movies that I've seen with suspenseful endings like that. It just played out in a way that it was so easy to be like, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And, like, I still enjoyed the ending. You saw how excited I was to get to the end. But when I was done, I was like, yeah, that's the way I would have wrote it. (laughs) Like, because it played out already for me ahead of time. I think part of that has to do with all the action movies and comics and stuff that you've experienced prior to coming into this yeah but also i feel like she does a really good job laying down the foundations for everything early on in the book oh i agree wholeheartedly and so like i'm not trying to take anything away from her writing abilities just to clarify if you are paying enough attention and you have enough experience i could see how you could piece 
the ending together somewhat. Very easily, yeah. But you have to admit that, like, it makes sense. It's not one of those endings that you read where it's like, oh, and then just suddenly, magically, this all comes together. Like, no, there's foundation for how this works and why it works and how this makes sense. Oh, yeah. I totally agree with that. And the only reason my brain was able to put it all together is because of how well she did what she did. Right. Um, but having so much experience reading some action books, but a lot of fantasy and stuff like that, where suddenly there's something that makes it so that the good guys win and the bad guys fail and, like, just some sort of trick up the main character's sleeve. It's, like, it's too cheap. It's too easy. It doesn't make any sense. And, like, having seen that happen so many times, the thing that really makes the ending top notch for me has less to do with predictability and more with the ability to write a story in such a way that it makes a hundred percent sense when you get to the end and the good guys have won and it's not something that feels cheap or easy i would agree i don't think it felt like any of those things right. i i think a lot of the reason i was able to put the pieces together was like you said i've fantasy and action films kind of always have a, a step and step by process and it kind of followed that but there were still twists like right. every few seconds and that's what made it so good and i'm not saying that every single person would be able to guess this that is not true. right just like, you were able to with your experience yeah and i think if you don't read those types of books or watch those types of movies on a regular basis, then you'd really enjoy it. Like, right. I enjoyed it thoroughly with with my experience. So yeah. I'm not trying to take away from that book at all. It also has been really hyped up by you. So I feel like that, in turn, also affected my expectation level a little bit. Well, um, it a couple of things. So, like, this is one of my favorite books of all time. That's the only way it gets a five-star rating for me. It has to be a favorite book of all time. Right. But on top of that, this came out in 2013. So it's almost seven years old or something like that. Eight years old. So, I mean, a lot of what she did could have felt outdated, could have felt overdone or overplayed. And it doesn't really. I uh, mean... I was going to say, I wouldn't say that it feels that way at all. It It's... What would I say? There have been a lot of action and fantasy movies that have come out in the past seven or eight years that probably lend towards your ability to be able to predict the ending. That had you read it when this first came out, you might have thought something along those lines, but maybe didn't catch it all. Who knows? Yeah. Like, the, the bringing Dole back to life again, I didn't think that was going to be possible just based on my understanding of second chance was what right. she had the ability to give. And so, like, there were things that I wouldn't nail right on the head, but at the same time, like, the steps that kind of were the ending, I, my brain was already there. And, again, I'm not taking anything away from it. It was very well written. Right. And I think it, it was even partially a little bit luck that I put it together the way that I did. Yeah. I think something that she adds to her writing and her book that you don't necessarily see in action and fantasy a lot of the time is this sense of humor that you have because I feel like her writing is very funny sometimes and some things that Victor says, some stuff to do with Mitch and how Mitch presents and yet how he acts and stuff like that are all very funny. Yeah, there's a comedic level of 
darkness, like a dark comedy to it a little right. bit too. Yeah. And I feel like that helps break up all the action for me because I'm not normally someone who loves action movies and stuff like that. So like reading something like this and loving it as much as I do has a lot to do with like the irony and the dry comedy and stuff like that. I would say it's it's very well balanced. You, right. You don't ever feel like you're... It's like getting monotonous, I guess, is the way to put it. Because like, like, there were times in Harry Potter where I'm like, God almighty, will this ever end? And with Vicious, I never felt that way. Right. I always yeah. felt like either A, there was something about to happen, or there was a really funny, entertaining, happy-go-lucky scene that might still have like a little dark side to it. Yeah. And I enjoyed it for that reason. And I think one of my employees, well, previous employees, I should say at this point in time, who used to work for me, told me it's a dark but really funny book. Yeah. I can agree with that. I think that was a good, quick summary of what it was. And I enjoyed it. Honestly, I don't, like, I feel like I'm going to be stingy about giving out five stars, but I would say, like, a good 4.25, 4.5 range. Like, okay. I really enjoyed the book, so. I think you might enjoy Vengeful a little less just because a lot of people do. Yeah. Like, I rated this five stars. I think I gave Vengeful 4.5 stars. Yeah. I read it a while back, so I can't say that for certain, but I think I did. So I think you might enjoy it less, but you get a lot of the same things that you get in Vicious, which is that sense of humor, the fast pace, and of course this magic system that I think is really unique that I really enjoy. Yeah. So I'm excited to see you read that over the next week, two I'm weeks. I'm also excited to read it over the next two weeks. Yeah. I'm excited to reread it myself. Yeah, but yeah. Overall, I loved the characters. I you hated the characters you're supposed to hate. You love the characters you're supposed to love. And mm, do you know who you're supposed to hate and who you're supposed to love? Because I think that's kind of the point in the books. I know the characters that I, I I wanted to love, and I think that's kind of the point with the way it was written too. Though is you're obviously supposed to love like Mitch, Victor, and Sydney, and then have distaste for Serena and Eli based off the way the first book is written. Like, those are supposed to be the bad, bad guys, not the good, bad guys. Right. And I kind of think the point is you're supposed to be able to understand all of the players. Yeah. And I think there's probably one you're supposed to like more than the other one, but it's sort of questionable. Like, you don't see anything black and white. It's all in shades of gray, but not right. 50 shades of gray. No, that's not the kind of book I'm interested in either, to be completely honest. I had that on your list. Yeah, it, I'll never read it. <laughs> but if you're looking for an entertaining book, a good read, I, I think it's a safe bet. It's also very fast paced. Yeah. So it's quick to get through, but also the chapters are really short. So if you only have like 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here. It's the perfect book. Yeah. Yeah. But I am excited for Vengeful. I will be reading the first half this week, the second half the week after that. If it's about the same length of book, I imagine it is. It's 475 pages. It's about 100 pages more. Okay. Which might make it interesting. Um, that just means you have to read on your days off. Yeah. But I am excited for it. I, again, liked the book. And I think it would be an honest recommendation for anybody to pick up and read. Yeah. But that's, I think, everything I have to say about it. Like, Well, you just don't want to give too much away. And take enjoyment away from other people right 
But we did get very spoilery in the ending, so... Sorry. That's sort of how the podcast rolls. That was... Well, the dilemma was, like, that was the one area I felt like I had the most opinion on. Right, of course. Like, the rest of it was good, and it kept me on the edge of my seat, and I don't want to spoil all the things leading up, because, again... Well, that's just kind of how book podcasts are gonna work is you're gonna talk about what you like and what you dislike and if it's spoilery it's spoilery yeah i would say there's no dislike in this book so far so i'm uh, you know it's just maybe not my cup of tea just the the dislike i guess was in the beginning was the time jumps like it got like 10 years one month today you know like it was a little much i think it's purposeful and it makes sense and that's why i didn't like give it like a two or something like that but we will see you guys next week for sports and more discussions on v schwab yes because you know there's never enough of that i agree so we will catch you next week guys make sure you check out all of the social media which will be linked in the show notes bye guys bye